This is episode number 237, How to Manage Burnout, with Elizabeth Kristoff. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming conversation this Friday that takes place every single week called Survive to Thrive Attitude of Gratitude. What this is, is a series of conversations, weekly conversations, that explore the connection between gratitude and grief, gratitude and resilience, gratitude and potential, and many other related topics. If this is of interest to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today, where you'll be able to find a link to our next LinkedIn and Facebook Live, which once again takes place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if this show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a donation through our website or submitting a review through iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad that we're able to reconnect again. I remember our first conversation that we had lasted, I don't know how long it lasted, but it probably could have gone like way longer than, <laughs> than, <laughs> yeah, than the time absolutely. we allocated for it. But I'm glad that we're able to reconnect and have this conversation around this concept of burnout. Um, I know that this is something that I've probably not only experienced in the past, but continue to experience throughout my life. And I, I've been curious, yeah, me too. you know, to, to have these conversations with other people, because I feel like there's no way I'm the only one that goes through this uh, on the face of the earth. There's got to be other people that face it on their own terms. So many. <laughs> and and I'm so curious, many. I'm curious to hear from kind of your own perspective, when it comes to burnout, A, have you ever experienced it? And B, what do you do in, one, in knowing what you know now in order to work through it? Yeah, I've absolutely experienced it as I've been an entrepreneur most of my life. And so I feel like it's very easy as an entrepreneur to get so much of your identity linked to your business, your sense of safety and well-being, but also your sense of worth and success can become really enmeshed with your business unless you can establish a practice of building really healthy boundaries around yourself and, and your business and learn how to not take things personally, come at things from a real mindset of curiosity. And that all, all takes a lot of work. And so I found myself going into cycles of burnout a lot through my life. I had a small business here in Austin for 12 years, um, before the pandemic and, um, went through 
a lot of phases of extreme workaholism in that business where I believed in the business, I believed in our mission and our vision. So it would be very easy for me to drive myself um, into a place of total shutdown or migraine or chronic pain or just brain fog, fatigue, exhaustion, and, and losing all that passion and excitement for what the business became about in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so now as I've been trying to build my new business, which is um, brain-based wellness, which is an online platform specifically designed to help people resolve stress in their bodies, train their nervous systems to be resilient and move out of things like burnout. I have had to really think about how am I going to build this business where I'm serving people in this capacity, but not at the expense of pushing my own self into, into burnout. <laughs> how do I live the work? How do I incorporate these tools into my life? Make sure I'm really doing the deal and, and not burn out this go round because I, I don't want to live my life that way again. It's interesting how you can go from one set of stress to a whole other one. I I've noticed the same exact thing. I think for me, when I started to go on this journey of building a business and, and everything that was new about it, it's the same exact realization. Part of it was wanting to move out some of the stressful situations that I was ex- experiencing But then at the same time, how do you build something where you don't recreate the same exact set of patterns and behaviors that I had relied on prior to starting the particular venture? Yeah, I think for me, what I am realizing as I move through this work, because I work with a lot of clients who have very high stress jobs or who are entrepreneurs, and I teach them tools to regulate their nervous system and to process stress through their body and and to heal deficits in their nervous system so that their nervous system is under less stress on a second by second basis, which then means you can like handle more before Mm -hmm. your brain goes into some protective outputs like pain or migraine. And what I'm realizing in myself is that those tools are really important and helpful, but also there's a need for me and I think others to learn the tools of regulation before I get to the place of burnout. Mm -hmm. That burnout is like a symptom of a behavior pattern that my nervous system is doing because the workaholism is another way of manufacturing safety or replaying patterns of my past that I'm really comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And so there's a certain amount of deeper level healing that I have to do to get out of the situations that then cause me to engage in the workaholism in the first place, not just to move me out of pain or migraine, which are the, the result of the workaholism, but how do I heal myself at that deeper level so I don't even enter into the same cycle of workaholism that then causes the migraine or the pain. So I I think there's like a layer underneath of healing that I'm starting to to move toward and, and try to understand how do I make myself feel safe enough in my body to explore the past situations that have led me to feel like I have to create safety through overbeing, overworking, and exhaustion. Are you a workaholic? Oh, for sure. I am. I'm in recovery. (laughs) I'm in recovery of it, but, um, yes, absolutely. I am. I have, I come from a mother who was a severe workaholic and, um, 
I inherited a lot of that. And then also too, I, I have a lot of childhood trauma in my background. And so I lived a lot of my life stuck in a state of hypervigilance of mm -hmm. fight and flight. And so it was very comfortable for me that adrenaline and the stress that you get with workaholism was a very comfortable state for my nervous system. And it was, it allowed me to to process through some of that energy for a long time. The, I mean, and I would have just stayed that way. The problem is that there's repercussions on the back end, right? My body was saying this isn't sustainable. Um, and my mind needed it to feel okay because it was stuck in those loops of, of, of hypervigilance, of fight or flight all the time, those stress loops. But eventually too much stress on the nervous system and then the body will cause damage. It will cause disease. It will cause unwanted behaviors. It'll cause shutdown. And so at some point I started coming up against those results and they got so painful that I had to try to find a way to heal and resolve that in myself because it was too much. Have you found within your own journey, because I've realized this without my own workaholic being a workaholic i'm the same exact way so welcome to the club when it comes to that but <laughs> i i love being able to do that and i think the same exact thing is somewhat similar within my family i have hard-working parents and most of the most of the people that i surround myself with have a very strong work ethic and so i found myself to be in those situations but i also find that in being a workaholic it is beneficial as it can be in some situations. It's also something that can create more bad than good moving forward. Because for example, if I have a problem or something that requires me, not right now, but in recent years, something that required me to take a step back and reflect upon it and really work through it. I wasn't doing that. Instead, I would just, I would engage in the work because if there's one thing that is guaranteed and it's, it's this concept that there's never ending projects you can be a part of. And that's what I was doing is I was getting into these new projects to prolong the healing and the reflection and whatever else that had to take place. And I'm wondering, based on your experience, what have you found as kind of the quote unquote dangers of being a workaholic or having a strong work ethic? I think that eventually it takes all of the pleasure out of things. We, in my experience, I would push through and there would be like this momentary exhilaration of like meeting a goal or, you know, having a successful launch or, or, or hiring a new team member and seeing them be successful or even, even the adrenaline and the, the, the feeling that comes from like a client that is really appreciative, which is a, like, there's, there's some deep gratitude there, but eventually those those milestones, they're, they're never enough, right? It's always like yeah. on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. And there's so much neglect of processing any of that through the body, so much stress that gets stored in the body, so much dysregulation that happens in the nervous system and so many emotions that aren't, aren't dealt with that are just masked over by the constant doing rather than being. And eventually I've, I lost touch with my animal nature, with my body, with my, with my ability to be, and in not feeling emotions and in not processing stress, everything gets 
numbed out. And so the, the, you, you create the, the frustration with burnout is that you create this beautiful life that you, that you want this business, this passion driven business, this purpose driven business and a life that you want. And you're not able to experience the felt sense Mm -hmm. of being in that life. And so there's just, there's just always more to do. And there's never a real sense inside of my body of success, of connection, of achievement. It never even really feel safe. And so I don't actually get to experience any of that, that I'm striving so hard to create. And then it just would drive more loops of like, well, then keep trying, keep doing this, keep keep doing pushing further. And instead I just got more and more shut down Mm -hmm. and dissociated from my own body. How do you process that then? How do you take a step back? How do you, how do you be in this whole concept of the now, which I think to a degree at least my experience has taught me it's been one of the more difficult things to be a part of because so much of it is either based on building for the future or trying to solve the past. And so this whole concept of the now, if I'm being fully transparent, I don't think I fully understood to this point because the moments of being in the now are so far in between over a course of a day, as far as the events that take place. I mean, having a to-do list, that's all based on a future action, future step, responding to an email. And then meanwhile, sitting here and thinking, why have they not responded? Did I say something wrong? Blah, blah, blah. All of those are based on the past, past actions. So I'm curious from your lens, how do you really acknowledge the success or the moments that did go well, as well as, as well as those that didn't turn out as well as you expected them. So for me, in order to be able to be in the present moment, I have to be able to be in my body. I have to drop from my head down into my body and be able to start to connect to the sensations Mm -hmm. that I feel around me that kind of anchors me in the present. And it, for a long time, it was really, it felt very unsafe to go into my own body as, as someone who like had dissociated a lot in my life. And I did that as a way to survive and stay safe. And so part of my awakening to the present moment had to include healing my nervous system. And so that comes through a lot of, um, vagus nerve stimulation, a lot of training for the different input systems in my nervous system, even just simple things like rehabbing my felt sense, like just taking a cloth and touching around my body, especially on like my scars or my tattoos and just Mm -hmm. closing my eyes and seeing how many sensations I could feel and naming, this is my forearm, this is the right forearm, this is my pinky finger and like closing my eyes and just creating a map of where my body is in space through sensory sensation or just closing my eyes and for 30 seconds a day, dropping into my body and seeing how many sensations I could feel on the inside of my body. Could I feel my ribs expanding and contracting? Could I feel my heart beating? Could I feel what it feels like in the bottom of my stomach? And just becoming curious rather than judging the sensations or allowing myself to spin into what they mean, just allowing myself to gather information about how many senses I could feel inside of my body. And 
and then learning practical tools to regulate my nervous system when I start to move into threat or stress response so that I'm not switching over into fight or flight into my old brain's response of trying to keep me alive. If I can keep regulating my nervous system throughout the day, as I feel that stress coming on, then it makes it possible for me to stay present, to stay aware, to react differently to things. And, and then I've had to also, in order to be in the present, like you were saying, I've had to process the past through my body and to process it also in my cognitive mind and to let it move through me. And that's still a healing process for me, quite honestly. But if I don't do the work of resolving the past, I feel like it stays in my body and it, it yeah. continues to drive my behavior so that I can't really be different in the present. Like I had a mindset coach the other day that was um, teaching a group of us and, and said like something about like the present or the past is only here if you talk about it. So like, just never talk about it again and you can stay in the present. And that might work for some people, but I feel like for those of us who've had some heavy stuff in our past, some trauma in the past, that's not it's not possible to just put it on the Flip back the burner switch, and say, yeah. yeah, it say it doesn't exist. It has to actually be healed. Like time doesn't heal all wounds, healing heals all wounds. And so I have to do the work of going back to heal it so that I have the ability now to be present, to be here with you, to be in my body, to feel the sensations, to be able to have a conversation without leaving my body and leaving this space to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Do you believe, so there's something that you mentioned that I find interesting, and it's this whole concept of unless you choose to work on it, it's going to resurface in some shape or form moving forward, whether it's conversations with a friend of mine or conversations with people who have never met. I'm wondering to what degree, because I think much of that revolves around the habits, choosing to actively, whether it's to journal or meditate, whatever the form of uh, healing that you choose to engage in. What are your thoughts on this whole concept of it takes 30 or however many days to change a habit? Well, because I think it takes a lot longer to that's change exactly a habit. What I was going to say, like for me, it takes months and months to actually change the habits and have them become my everyday thing. And I'm wondering from your experience, has it been less? Has it been significantly more? So a really important thing to remember when you're talking about habit change is that our brains, they really want to be efficient mm -hmm. and they rely on pattern recognition in order to make predictions to generate outputs that are meant to keep us alive. And they don't like to spend a lot of energy calories on making those decisions. So they're always going to try to go for the most predictable pattern and the most well-worn path, right? So the more you do something, the more those, those neuropathways get worn into the brain. And if you think about it, a neuropathway is, it's like a a wire with the kind of rubber around the outside and the rubber around the outside is called myelin. And that makes the, the charge go better, right? If you have a wire where all that myelin is worn off, then the, the cord doesn't work anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And so an, a neuropathway is like that. And every time you do it, more myelin gets laid down around the outside of the nerve. So that pathway is more efficient. It's a well-worn path. It can, your brain can easily send a signal down that path and have it be 
effective. And so our brain is always going to go for the more efficient pathways. And so when we start to try to change something, we're creating a new path. We're laying down new myelin and our brain that's energy costly to our brain. And it's going to resist it. Not our, not our frontal lobe, not our higher order thinking systems, but our old brain. And they've done studies, um, where even just, they had people try to brush their teeth with the opposite hand. And if you try this yourself, you'll feel how hard it is. It's almost like your other yeah. hand will come up and grab your hand and, <laughs> and bring it back in. Like there's a robot controlling your hand, you know? Um, and for most people in that case, it took almost a year to change that habit. Um, and that's just something as simple as switching the uh, hand that you brush your teeth with, but it's a very ingrained pattern. And so I think we need to be more gentle with ourselves and understanding that habit change is hard because of our brains. It's just the way that we're wired and to be patient with ourselves. And, and again, try to look at things with a mindset of curiosity and know that there's nothing morally wrong with us, or there's nothing bad about the fact that habit change can be hard. It's just the way that we're wired. Mm -hmm. Can you explain more what you just briefly mentioned, the old brain and in is it the new brain? Is that the right terminology? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Old brain, new brain, or back brain, front brain, or, you know, some people call it like the reptilian brain. Um, so our old brain is located at the back of our skull and it is the part of our nervous system that is always working to keep us alive. It's like kind of our survival brain and it doesn't, um, doesn't think about the future or the past. It lives in the present and it will always react in a way that's going to best ensure our survival in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so it is basically tasked with gathering in all this information and it decides like safe or unsafe. And then it produces an output with our safety and survival at the forefront. And so sometimes that looks like outputs that we don't really want to experience in life, but it's doing that to try to keep us alive. So our, our brain might, for instance, produce pain or produce extreme fatigue or produce even depression or anxiety because there's too much stress coming into the system. It feels too threatened. And so that could be from your job stress. That could be from relationship stress. It could also be from other deficits in your nervous system that over time are creating stress in the system. Like maybe you have a problem with your vision, or maybe there's a problem with the balance system inside of your inner ear. And so all that stress is building up inside of your body and your nervous system. And your brain starts to think, whoa, hey, old brain starts to think this is not safe anymore. So how can I get you to interact with the world less? How can I get less stimulus coming? Mm. Mm. Well, if I produce pain, you're going to take smaller steps. You're not going to work out as much. You're going to maybe not go out as much. You're going to, you're going to keep your world smaller and reduce the amount of stress coming in. And that's good because right now I feel like there's too much. I'm too overstimulated and I need to shut it out. Mm -hmm. Or for example, binge eating is something that I've struggled with my whole life. And I learned as I studied applied neurology this is my brain's best way of getting the input that it needs to keep me regulated and keep me alive. Like I am literally switching myself into rest and digest when I do that. And so when I've been stuck in a state of hypervigilance, in a state of 
fight and flight for too long and all that stress is pumping through my body, my brain figured out that one of the best ways to make me calm down, make me rest, and to switch over into my parasympathetic system was to eat a bunch of food because I was an athlete and I would push through pain. Mm -hmm. I would push through nausea. I would, I'm a workaholic, so I would push through extreme <laughs> fatigue. But finally my brain figured out, oh hey, I can, I can drive you to go, you know, go to the refrigerator and shovel a bunch of food in, and then you're you're gonna pass out, you're gonna rest. And right now, that's what's gonna keep you safe. Our brain and our nervous system and our body are smart and they know that too much stress for too long causes disease and it causes um, autoimmune response. It causes all kinds of problems. And so they will create behaviors to shut you down, to keep your world smaller and, and to keep you safe. Mm. I'm laughing because I can relate to everything that you just said about it. I think stress eating, it took me a while to recognize that I was doing it until the next thing I know is either a whole thing of Oreo cookies is gone or a whole tub of ice cream is just completely vanished within, you know, seconds to maybe yeah. minutes. And I realized after a while that that's exactly what I was doing is I was managing my stress through those behaviors that after a while they became so habitual that I even forgot to question, why am I doing this? Why, why am I eating so much when literally I just had a full blown meal five or 10 minutes ago. Yeah. It's a tool that your brain has found to get the regulation that it needs and, or the stimulus that it needs. Because when we put a bunch of food into our digestive system, it gives a lot of our nerves stimulus as we start to digest, mm -hmm. especially our vagus nerve, which is a really important cranial nerve that gives our brain signals from our body. So it, it relays all of the information from your organs and um, your internal systems up to your brain. And then that goes to a part of the brain called your insular cortex, which integrates all of that information. Well, all the different areas of our brain want stimulus and activation. They need stimulus and activation to stay healthy and stay alive. So if too much stress, for example, has damaged your vagus nerve and your insular cortex isn't getting a lot of activation now because your vagus nerve isn't relaying as much information as it should, Oh, a really great way to get stimulus to your insular cortex is to eat a bunch of food and to stimulate your celiac gastric by, uh, plexus and to get that vagus nerve some activation. And now that area of your brain that needs more activation gets the activation that it needs. So whenever we have behaviors, it's it's either our nervous system trying to self-regulate or it's our brain trying to get the stimulus that it needs to stay healthy and active. And even if it doesn't feel like what's in alignment with our long-term goals, again, it's our, our body and our brain like living in that moment in that survival mode to keep us safe in that moment. How'd you break away from stress eating? Um, I had to learn a lot of tools to regulate my nervous system in the moment and to also start to reg uh, to recognize the signals that my body is sending me before I get to the place where I'm so shut down that I will go into a binge. So the body is always sending signals and they're quiet at first, but they get louder as, as you ignore them. Right. And so 
for me, it would start with like a little bit of pain in my left knee, or I would get a lot of tightness in my right side of my jaw, Mm -hmm. or I would start to feel kind of heavy and fatigued. And if I keep pushing past that before I know it, it's almost like a blackout. Right. And I'm just sitting there like shoveling cookies down my face. And like, I don't even know how I got there. Right. But so if I can see it, if I can see it before, or sometimes it's not even cookies, sometimes it's random, whatever's there. Right. But if I can see it before I get to that point where I'm already so dysregulated that it's like, it's too late. I'm already past that threshold of, of regulating myself. But if I can start to train myself to listen to the quieter signals, and then when I hear those signals, do something about it, do something that my nervous system likes. I need to take a break. I need to go for a walk. I maybe need to take a hot bath. I need to call a friend and have some connection. I need to do a couple drinks that upregulate my vagus nerve or um, practice some breathing exercises that make me feel better, then I can start to bring myself back out of that high stress state before I'm already dysregulated. Mm-hmm. The reason why I asked that and I shared with this, this with you earlier and all the people that are tuning in <laughs> is I've struggled with stress eating for a while. And so this question, it was more maybe a direct question for me. It's just like, how, what's the next stage that, or next step that I could take within it? Because I think it's, it is such a uh, real solution. What I mean by that, it's one that is a easily accessible, maybe not to everyone, but to some of us. And so being able to, just like you said, pick up whatever, and instead of having to deal with the problem at hand, it's easier to divert attention and focus on something else that is completely unrelated and then hope that over time that problem will just dissolve and fade out. But I think the reality of the matter is going back to what we said earlier is that that problem is just going to transform into some other problem down the road. So it might come up during a conversation I have with a friend or a family member or whoever. And then from that point, for me, what I found is that it's that much harder to get to the origin of it because there have been thousands of other thoughts and circumstances and, and events that took place from that initial thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's complicated and it's layered and there, there is so much that goes into it. And all of what you said is exactly right. And it is a real solution. Like you said too, like it is a, it's a solution. And so giving it up is, is difficult. And I really had a moment as I was pretty deep in my neurology studies where it really hit me that like, I don't know where I would be had I not had binge eating as a tool to regulate my nervous system, because I know other people who have had a similar amount of trauma as myself, like my ACE score is pretty high. Mm-hmm. And those people who did not have that as a tool either were deep and more harmful addictions, Mm -hmm. or they were institutionalized because they had dissociation so bad that they could not, um, take care of themselves anymore or, or, or they died, they killed themselves. And I realized, oh my God, my brain and my body have developed this tool to help me regulate myself. And it worked, it worked for me. It helped my brain get what it needed. It helped my body get what I needed. And I, it wasn't what I wanted, how I wanted to live my life continuing on. But I had a moment where I was like deeply, deeply grateful mm-hmm. to have that tool. And then, and then from that place of, of, 
understanding that my body was my ally, not working against me or, and that my nervous system was just asking for regulation tools, I could start to create a practice of how can I give it what it needs without this particular behavior. So for you, I would say like, start to look at, see if you can start to identify like before the stress eating started, what happened in your body before that? What, what mm -hmm. sensations did you feel? What little clues did your body or your nervous system give you that it was moving into this state of needing this regulation? Did you feel pain anywhere? Did you feel tightness in your throat? Maybe your hands went numb. Like everybody's signals are a little bit different and based on our own experiences. So start to just keep track, look with curiosity at the behavior. And, and even if you can't do it while in the behavior, if like later you can be like, what happened before that? What was, what was I experiencing in my body? And then if, when you start to feel those signals, you can just do little things that help you regulate. Like one of the most effective tools is just to focus on your breath and it's super simple mm -hmm. and just practice breathing in through your nose, breathing out through your mouth, like you're breathing out of a straw. So you're kind of giving your exhalation some resistance and try to make your exhale twice as long as your inhale so that you're upregulating your parasympathetic system. And there've actually been FMRI, FMRI studies that show as few as six of those straw breaths like that mm -hmm. can move people out of their sympathetic nervous system, which is fight and flight and towards a more parasympathetic response of calm respond so that you can start to get out of that high stress state and be in a place where you can have the awareness you can have the presence to be like okay i'm feeling this i'm going to take these six breaths and now i can do something else instead i can go for a walk i can call a friend but just interrupting that cycle a little bit so i say the first step is to recognize the signals and then develop a small tool that you can use to start to help yourself regulate What's your go-to for triggering such awareness? I mean, do you carry a sticky note with you that says, hey, dude, ask yourself this question, or you're obviously at a different stage. You know, you probably are able to just recognize the situation and just get into whatever the methods has worked well for you. But for someone who might be just starting along this journey, how do you trigger such level of awareness if you are not even at stage one, but literally at stage zero? It's a great question. And to be really honest, I, I still don't always get there. Sometimes I, <laughs> sometimes I don't, you know, so I, it's been a long process for me. And, and, you know, like I taught mind body practices for 12 years and was in a state of total dissociation from my body. So like someone, I don't want anyone to feel bad if they're there. And for a lot of people, it feels unsafe to come into your body. So I started with a very minimum effective dose and I, I practice, I think everything is a skill and every skill is trainable and I have to make my body feel safe in doing it. So I have to start with a, an amount that is not threatening to my body. So I don't start to move into threat response. So I started with 30 seconds a day and I would set my timer in the morning and I would just try to drop from my head down into my body and just ask 
questions, ask a lot of questions, like how does it feel in the center of my chest? How does it feel in the bottom of my belly? And if I felt a certain sensation, I would maybe put my hand on it and ask my body. I would start to name the sensation, like just kind of whisper it to myself, like tightness in my throat, tightness in my throat or heaviness in my chest. And then I would start to ask it, like, what do you need from me? How do you want me to be with you? And start to cultivate this relationship of being in my body because I had, I, I really didn't have one. I was very checked out of my own body. Mm -hmm. And so I started with that 30 seconds a day and now it's become more habitual, more ingrained for me. So like the other night I was grieving, I was feeling a lot of grief for my past and for things that I had let go of. And I I had the ability, which honestly really surprised me because I was really sad. And I had the ability to be like, start naming the sensations and start asking them what they were there to teach me and how they wanted me to be with them. And, and really just from a mindset of curiosity, allowing myself to explore the felt sensation of grief and, and just, what does this feel like? Can I describe this a little bit more? What kind of heaviness? What's the texture of this feeling? And that was really different and a very different experience of, of moving through an emotion. And it started just though with that practice of, of very small, small bits of that. How do you know if you're out of your body? And I'll stop with the 20 questions after this, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just so no. curious, like when, when you just described that, cause I don't, I probably have experienced similar situations like that, but because I didn't have the awareness surrounding it, it it's difficult for me to understand at which situations am I out of my body and in, in, in which situations am I, fully in connected with everything within my body? That's a great question. It's hard to know when you're out of your body, except that I, I think for me, I've, I've lived a lot of my mind relying on my intellect and mm -hmm. thinking my way through stuff. So if my thoughts start racing and I start trying to explain whatever it is that I'm experiencing that's a big indicator to me that I'm, I'm not in my body. I'm like, I'm trying to like rationalize, justify, or figure out. I'm trying to like figure my way out of the thing. Then mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not in it anymore. I'm checked out. And then another thing for me is, I mean, my dissociation can be pretty intense. Sorry. My dissociation can be pretty intense. So I will sometimes, almost not be able to speak, not be able to verbalize what I'm feeling. I will not, I will be really inarticulate about what's going on. And sometimes I, I lose time. I can't even really remember how I got there. And so again, like in that moment, it's not always the best time to try to understand what's happening or what's going on, but I've had to go back afterwards and be like, what happened before this? Mm. How did I get here? Because in the moment I can't, I have to interrupt it before the dissociation happens. Do you enjoy getting stuck in your own thoughts? I don't enjoy getting stuck in my own thoughts. No, it happens for me for sure, but I don't enjoy it. I, um, I, that's another thing that I've, I've practiced quite a bit is, is, 
allowing myself to like go out in nature and try to find ways to be really present, trying to find ways to anchor into my body so that I do not get stuck into the, into the thought loops because those can be really harmful for me. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, obviously you and I have proved it again that we can keep talking for however many hours, but for the sake of this conversation, what are some ways that people can connect with you? I know that you have a couple of things coming up within your work that people can be a part of. Share with us, with us briefly, what's the, what are some platforms that people can learn more about who you are as well as the work that you're doing? Well, the best place to find me is on my website, which is brainbase-wellness.com. And I actually have a free applied neurology 101 course there that people can sign up for and just learn a little bit more about how do you assess what's moving your nervous system in a positive direction or negative direction and learn some really simple practical tools that they could use like in these moments that we were talking about to regulate your nervous system when you're starting to feel those little signals. Um, and there's five of the drills that I have found to be the most high payoff for my clients in that course. And you can take those, keep them in your back pocket. And when you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling dysregulated, use them. So that's the best offering that I have. And then, um, there's a membership site and there's some self-study courses, but I would just start with the free neuro course and see how experience it in your body, see how it feels mm -hmm. for you. And just reach out to me through the site. If you have any questions about any of it. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if this podcast has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by making a contribution or donation through our website at overcomingodds.today. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.